they're only a drop in the bucket compared to your greatness. Lord, I thank you. I thank you that this week as uh, you allow us to be in a place surrounded by great redwoods that make us feel small, this is also a place where we get to see you as not just big but enormous. And Lord, I pray that our view of you would continue to grow this week through the messages, through the worship, Lord, through the walks in the woods, through just the quiet times with you, and Lord, that you would take the words of that song and burn them into our hearts, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. I wasn't, uh, I wasn't prepared for the emotions that would just hit me with that song. Um, that song was not in our hymn book growing up. I went to a crazy conservative, very, 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 very independent, 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 independent Baptist church. Some of you may come from that background too. And um, our church, if, if you know Bob Jones, if you know that school, um, our pastor thought Bob Jones had gone a little liberal. And um, so we didn't know what to do. Eventually when I went away to Wheaton College, um, I was not included on the list of kids away at college to pray for because, after all, the great heretic of all time, Billy Graham, had attended Wheaton College. So, you know, what kind of a school was young Philip going to? Some of you are going, ah! Yes, there are actually churches like that, and they're still out there. When I was in fifth grade, my first introduction to Wheaton College was a camp they run up in northern Wisconsin called Honey Rock. My parents were never as weird as our church, thankfully. Um, but um, in fifth grade, my parents had, uh, my dad had announced that he had found somebody else. And uh, he was going to be leaving my mom. And my brother and sister were 10 and 7 years older. And my mom fought dirty. She worked for a, a company that valued family. And she essentially said, I'll destroy your career if you follow through on that. They came to a compromise, and the compromise was a boy should have his dad in his life, so I'll hang around until Philip turns 18 and leaves for school. And um, it was against that backdrop that I go away to this camp. And there's a chapel, kind of like the little chapel over here, except there's a full window in the front, and hanging down from that window are all the verses of that song burned into wood. Again, I had never, I, I didn't know it was a song. I just thought, oh, that's a really cool poem somebody wrote. And um, I read it, and it was probably the first memory in my life where I was really hurting and God showed up in a big way. And that he was more than enough for what we were facing as a family, and that I was going to have an eternal father, an everlasting father, even if my earthly father bugged out. song just overwhelmed me just now because I still need a big God like that. The amazing thing is during the intervening years, um, while dad was anxiously waiting for me to turn 18 so he could get on with his life, God took that little tiny soft spot in a very hard heart of my dad and that was his point of interest. And uh, he overwhelmed my dad with his love, which then my parents always struggled 
two perfectionists in one home. I told you that, right? Who's more perfect? Great recipe for human failure in a marriage. But God intervened, and when mom died after 56 and a half years of marriage, of course, she dictated from the grave that I would be preaching her funeral and specified who would be carrying the casket and crossed out all the ones that had died before. And my dad's like, even from the other side, your mother still speaks. She's large and in charge. And, um, but a woman came up, her hairdresser, and said, hey, um, that was a good sermon. You know I don't believe all this God stuff. That was a good sermon. If I ever do believe, it won't be because of your words. It'll be because of watching your dad love your mom. I said, what, what, do, you, what do you mean? And um, she said, well, you know she had poor circulation in her feet. She had a lot of illness because you, you know she, he took her slippers every morning and warmed them with a hair dryer before he put them on her feet, right? I never saw him do that. How great thou art. He transformed my dad. He changed our whole family. It still wasn't easy, but every everything that we were talking about in that last session, as Kurt was leading, that is the God that we have. Amen? Amen. Um, back on the back, there's a number of resources from Walk Through the Bible. There's actually six different series, and they're all structured about the same way. If, if you like just meat and potatoes Bible teaching, we're kind of just the we stay really close to the story of Scripture. Kurt does this. I do this. Maybe you're getting that in your home church. Maybe you're not. Um, these may be great resources for your small group or Sunday school class or just a, a study at home. Crucible, the choices that change your life forever. It's six sessions on the life of David. There's a DVD series. You can also stream it. And then there's a really good workbook with places to take notes, fill in the blanks, and, and also then great discussion questions. Um, but there's actually six of these back there. Detour, which is subtitled Finding Purpose When Life Doesn't Make Sense. Anybody ever experienced that in your life where it's like, huh, my relationship with God is like my golf game. I wore a Masters shirt the other day, and somebody goes, I don't remember seeing you at the Masters this year. And I go, I only have two problems with my golf game, just distance and direction. If I iron those out, I'm, I'm headed for a green jacket. Uh, with with God, it's 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 only His methods and His timing. That's all I ever question about Him. Just those things. And this follows the life of Old Testament Joseph. And um, man, if there was ever a time um, for this course, it's it's right now. Revolution: How Millennials Can Change the World and What They Need from the Rest of Us. Um, I am so tired of Millennials and Gen Zers being busted on by people in my generation and and. on this. I have preached on this. This was, I taught this at Mount Hermon. This looks at, this looks at King Josiah, and um, Josiah, if he lived today, would be called a millennial. At, at 26, he, um, he started tearing down idols. He knew what to tear down. He didn't know what to build in its place until he discovered the word. It's powerful, powerful teaching. Chosen, when God calls your name. If you're from a Catholic background, you know all about Mary. But you were raised to adore her. You don't really learn from her because she's so different. She's so special. She's so merry. From a Protestant background, we're kind of scared of her. I mean, what, well, how she fit into the Christmas story? Well, that, she was there. Yeah, she was there. She is a role model for us. And 
this just lets Mary's story speak for itself. This is great heading into, into Christmas. Um, chiseled. This is, um, you'll love the graphics in this. They're actual photos of my abs. And um, they're kind of superimposed. Ellen reminds me every now and then when I met you, you had a six pack. And I'm like, baby, you got a keg now. It's like, that's even better. Um, Becoming the masterpiece God created you to be. It's a study of Simon Peter and how God transformed him from an ordinary fisherman into a very strong leader. And then finally, this one just came out, Refuge, Finding Home in a World of Change. It looks at using the book of Ruth. I don't think Ruth's ever been as relevant as it is right now. Looks at themes of displacement, looks at issues of immigration, um, looks at long-term themes like grief and loss and loneliness and disillusionment with God, and it just simply goes through the book of Ruth and um, applies that truth to today. So these things, are they're $35 each, or everything must go. Crazy Ellen has lost her lease, and you can get all six of these for $149, which is a wonderful thing. Our, our um, VP of Finance goes, seriously, Phil? I mean, we're nonprofit, but that's not our mission statement, right? That's our tax status. But hey, very few lives get changed when these things sit in our warehouse. So there you go. Well, yesterday we got started. And, and by the way, the way in which what Kurt's teaching and I'm teaching comes together, you would be tempted to go, man, you guys must have really discussed that thoroughly. Kurt and I are neither one bright enough to make that happen. That's, that's pure God. And the topic of resilience, especially in this lesson today, really in, in all the overview of Moses' life that we're working on together, you're going you're to see him living out these same themes exactly as Kurt is talking about. Yesterday, we looked at how God had prepared Moses to serve him. In fact, 80 of his 120 years were spent in preparation for the part of his story that we get all excited about when he goes one-on-one -on -one with Pharaoh and eventually leads the people out of Egypt and then they wander in the wilderness for 40 years and eventually enter the promised land. But two-thirds of his life for preparation, 40 years thinking he's somebody, 40 years finding out he's really nobody, and 40 years discovering God can use anybody. Now, spoiler alert, most of you are not going to live to 120. So you may want to compress those, those phases just a bit, all right? And um, the good news is if you're older, it means the best act is still to come. Be encouraged by that. If you're young, don't go, well, nothing really counts until you hit 80 and beyond. Don't live life that way. Speed those first two sections up so you can get to the good stuff that you can. We pull a big lesson out of each one. The lesson from yesterday is this. Freedom must be experienced before it can be shared. Before Moses could lead others to freedom, he had to be set free from his past, from his failure, from his fear of rejection, from misunderstanding from his own people, from all of those things. And God took him through that elaborate process. So when he calls him at the burning bush, Moses instantly says yes, right? Now, remember that dialogue back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Finally, Moses just goes, please, Lord, send someone else. At that point, God's anger burns against, burned against him. 
I'll take all your legitimate questions, but when you just say no, that ticks me off, God says. Moses eventually decides to obey, and we, we pick up the story. This section I'm calling liberation. This is when the people get free from their bondage in Egypt. And again, like we talked about yesterday, this all applies whether it's an addiction, whether it's getting pulled into QAnon or a conspiracy theory. Now I just crossed the line from preaching to meddling. I understand that. Whether, whether it's just a self-destructive behavior, whether it's, it's anxiety, whether it, it, we can go on and on. These things all apply. We're not just learning history together. We pick up the story in Exodus chapter 5, verse 1, and it says this. Afterward, Moses and Aaron, remember God didn't fix his mouth, God just gave him his brothers. I've never been smooth talker, God says, who said you were? My mouth, it doesn't work right. Well, who made your mouth? He gave them miracles. He also gave them Aaron as a wingman. Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, this is what the Lord God of Israel says. Let my people go. Let my people go so that they may hold a festival to me in the wilderness. Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and I will not let Israel go. My wife, Ellen, was an English teacher. They eventually heard what I do to the English language, and I think they thought that maybe she shouldn't be an English teacher anymore. No, that's not how that happened. But it's amazing living with an English teacher. You know, you, I've, I've learned a lot. I should have paid more careful attention in school. And, you know, it's like there's songs to learn prepositions, and we sing those at our house. It's such a, such a joy to be married to an English teacher. One of the things that my teacher, are there other teachers here? Uh, always at Mount Hermon, there's a disproportionate number of teachers. I'm not sure why that is, but it is absolutely the case every time I come here. I've heard my wife say, and I'll bet you teachers have said this too, now class, there's no such thing as a dumb question. The only dumb question is the one that you just keep in your mind and don't ask out loud because then others don't benefit from your question. So there's no such thing as a dumb question. That's almost true. But that's not true. This is a great example here. To say to God, who are you that I should obey you? That's a dumb question. So there is, I'm sorry, Ellen, but there is such a thing as a dumb question. If you learn nothing else this week, learn, don't say to God, who are you that I should obey you? File that away with other helpful knowledge you've accumulated here at Mount Hermon, like never hire an electrician with no eyebrows and other, other great <laughs> central doctrines of the faith. God says, I'm glad you asked. And he sends the ten audiovisual aids. More commonly, we call them the ten plagues. And each of these plagues, here's the first nine, we'll deal with the tenth one in detail, but each of these nine are 
targeted at a specific god or goddess that the Egyptians worshipped. It's not just like, what are the best ways for me to make life miserable for the Egyptians? So Pharaoh gives in. That's definitely part of it. But the other part of it is, is their problem was they had all these gods and goddesses. And, and you know, even if, if Israel's God were introduced, he'd just be, they'd just give him a spot on the crowded wall of other gods. Maybe they might even build him a temple too. Maybe they might even give him X percent of their heart. And our God does not operate that way. He's exclusive. He insists on it. He's a jealous God. Let's just look at a couple of these. The first one, um, the Nile River. Nile River brought them all sorts of wealth and prosperity. It brought trade in and out of Egypt. It was a big part of them thriving as a nation. And so guess what? They had a goddess of the Nile. What did God do to the Nile River? Turn it into blood. You remember this. You may not see this in your English text. You've got to get good at Hebrew to pull out these subtleties. But, but one day Pharaoh goes out and he's wading in the water and it's all bloody. And he says to his advisors, this can't be our river. This can't be our river. Tell me this is not our river. And his most trusted counselor finally said, I'm sorry, Pharaoh, but you're in denial. And um, the only thing worse than dad jokes is pop's jokes. And I'm now a grandpa. So it's getting worse. They had a frog goddess named Het. We probably spell her name H-E-K-T. She was a beautiful woman from the waist up and a frog from the waist down. She was a goddess. You talk about great legs, cover girl on Egyptian field and screen. She, she was something else. God says, you like frogs? Open your microwave, ribbit, out comes one. Frogs, 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 frogs. People said, if I see another frog, I'm going to... Yeah, okay, good. You... This is a biblically literate group here. I appreciate that. Interesting, as you read the account, Pharaoh's magicians are able to duplicate, to counterfeit, some of these miracles, not all of them, but what a warning to us, okay, that all power does not come from the one true God. There are imitations, there's counterfeits. That's why to base Christian life on experience, even if it's a powerful experience, I got a liver quiver from it, it was, it was, it really moved, it must be real. Satan is the great counterfeiter, great counterfeiter. Well, let's pick up the story. Every time, every time after each plague, we, we read that Pharaoh's heart got harder. It's very interesting. Sometimes it says Pharaoh hardened his heart. Sometimes it actually says God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And one of the lessons to take away from that is, is enough won't, I won't, I won't, I won't, I won't, I won't, eventually becomes a can't. The book of Romans talks about God handing us over to our own desires. Sometimes God's judgment doesn't take his intervention. All he has to do is, is take his hand of protection away. Pharaoh's heart gets harder and harder and harder. And finally, in chapter 11, verse 1, we read this. Now the Lord had said to Moses, I will bring one more plague on Pharaoh and on Egypt. 
After that, he will let you go from here, and when he does, he will drive you out completely. You know, as we read about all these plagues, it's really easy to go, man, it must have been terrible to live back then. Aren't, I mean, and there's places in the world where, you know, primitive civilizations where they still fear the forest and they try to appease the, the gods of, of the jungle or they fear thunder. Man, we're, we're past that in America. I mean, we're, we're enlightened, aren't we? You realize the basis of their issue was that they had stopped worshiping the creator and they had begun to worship in the creation. Now suddenly that sounds more familiar. What are you, what are you talking about, Phil? I, we, we worship the creation all the time. Do you think we sometimes worship our athletes? You bet we do. Never forget the time our daughter's life almost ended. Philip played baseball, she played softball. Emily's got this insane mathematical mind. Ellen was in the other room, I think, cleaning up after, after dinner, and, or probably getting dinner ready. And, and um, Emily sees on the TV that CC Sabathia has signed a new contract with the Yankees. It was a few years ago. Emily was smarter than this now. And we saw the amount there, and, and Emily, you know, she's taking her phone, and she's going like this, and I go, what are you, what are you doing? You reading about Sabathia? And she goes, well, kind of. And then she looks, and she, she's calculated based on his annual salary and how many pitches he threw in the previous season, how much he earns per pitch. Nothing wrong with that. Interesting factoid until she says to Ellen, who's teaching school, she goes, hey, Mom, you know what I just figured out? When C.C. Sabathia walks somebody, even if it's four straight balls, he earns more in that at bat than you learn in, a, you earn in an entire year of teaching. There's a difference between intelligence and wisdom. Very, very, very much so. We worship our athletes. Do we ever worship our science and our technology? Some of you are, are, are from the valley. I mean, we have come to believe that just give us long enough, we'll solve every problem with a human invention. I praise God for the vaccination. I do. I put something on my Facebook page about you weren't the coolest kids in school. You were more comfortable in the library than you were in the lab. But the day we got our vaccines, I'm like, you're looking pretty cool today. I praise God for the men and women who busted it to make vaccines available in record time. But you know what? The best medical authorities carry with them a humility. We struggled for years with infertility, tried all different kinds of things. Eventually, we found an infertility specialist in Indianapolis. We drive from our little church in Illinois several hours over there. Somebody gave us a brochure. And um, when we first met with him, he says, okay, there's one thing you need to understand. He says, we'll run a bunch of tests. He says, we'll see what God has for you. Um, but he says, you just need to understand something. He goes, I treat, but God heals. And he goes, I don't want to cram my faith down your throats, and I don't want you to feel uncomfortable. I'm like, it's a pastor. It's going to be okay. And he goes, but with your permission, I'd like to pray for you. Because I can do everything right, I treat, but God ultimately heals. Wow. 
three surgeries later, little Emily was born, and after another surgery, little Philip was born. I try to thank him, and he's like, I, I appreciate that. My team works really hard. But he says, no, no, like I told you, glory goes to God. It wasn't phony. It wasn't fake. It wasn't words. He understands it's the creator, not the creation. And we could find ten more examples in this room, easily, of how we fall into the same trap of worshiping not the creator, but the creation. Well, let's pick up the story. It's time for the tenth and final plague. Chapter 11, verse 4, Moses said, This is what the Lord says. About midnight I will go throughout Egypt. Every firstborn son in Egypt will die. From the firstborn son of Pharaoh, who sits on the throne, to the firstborn son of the female slave, who is at her handmill, and all the firstborn of the cattle as well. All strata of society. God is not a respecter of persons. You didn't get out of this if you lived in a nice area and had better access to medical care firstborn sons of every home and by the way it also includes their livestock the lord said to moses now this flashes back to what we talked about yesterday the lord said to moses he's predicted this would happen when you return to egypt see that you perform before pharaoh all the wonders i have given you the power to do but i will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go then say to Pharaoh, I've never noticed this. I've never heard this taught before. This is what the Lord says. Israel is my firstborn son. These are my people. This is my family. And I told you, let my son go so he may worship me. But you refuse to let him go. So I will kill your firstborn son. This is really important. God's intention was never that Israel be his pet people. I just like Israelites and I hate Egyptians, so I'm going to wail on them. That's not the character of our God. What God is doing is his bringing judgment on sin. You've chased all these other gods and goddesses. I'll show you they're ultimately powerless compared to me. But the problem is also in your heart. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. The paycheck that sin ends at, earns at the end of a lifetime is not just physical death, but also spiritual death, separation from God forever. And so, you know, he's, he's bringing this judgment, this plague of death. But there's a problem. Because the Israelites were also sinners, were they not? That was just means yes. And so God can't just go, oh, that's fine, I, no, no problem. I just, like, I'll overlook all your junk. That's not what God is like. And so he says to them, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take a lamb. I want you to take a lamb and slaughter it and take its blood and put it on the side beams, the top beams of your house. Why? Because it's a substitute. It's a sacrifice in your place. The Old Testament talks a lot about sacrifice. You read Leviticus. Oh, man. Walk through the Bible. has a Bible called the Daily Walk Bible. My dad said, you ought to put on the cover, this is the one that will get you through Leviticus. 
because it, it breaks stuff into sections and it tells you what you're going to read. And, and I said, why, why should we do that? He goes, because I died in the book of Leviticus many times just like the Israelites did. I've just, I just, Genesis, pretty epic, Exodus, who can't love that? And then Leviticus. My dad made it through the Bible first time in his life at the age of 80 years old. Pretty cool. Pretty cool. A lot about sacrifice. But all the sacrifices, all they could do was cover sin. They couldn't remove it. And they were looking toward the future in anticipation of someday an ultimate sacrifice. We don't quite understand that. It's kind of concealed in the Old Testament. We find out from our perspective, we're looking back on it. Who's the perfect sacrifice? Jesus, the promised Messiah. But a lot of people missed him because they weren't looking for a suffering Savior. They were looking for a conquering king who was going to come in and kick butt and get rid of the Romans. This is, this is part of God's plan. And he says, so take the blood, put it around the door of your house. And then what does he say? He, he explains it. He explains it in verse 12 of Exodus 12. He says, on that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals. And I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And where I see blood, I will what? Pass over. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. If you have friends who are Jewish, or maybe you might be from a Jewish background, that's one of the two holiest days on the Jewish calendar. Day of Atonement and Passover. What is God's promise? If I see the blood, I will what? I will pass over. And I will not bring the judgment which your sin deserves. I used to not care anything about the Old Testament. I read it, or, well, I didn't read it. I read it like I read Ellen's high school yearbook. I grew up in Illinois. She grew up in North Carolina. We didn't meet until college, junior year. And I went to a pretty big school, four or 500 students in a class. She went to a school that now is big, but it was just starting out. There were 13 in her graduating class. Her brother went there, her mom taught Bible, her mom was the librarian. The, the yearbook is her family photo album. It's like, who needs creative memories? You got a yearbook, there you all are, right there. And, and I don't find my name, I, I've looked in the index in the back, my name is not in there. Her name's in there, she's president of that, she's head cheerleader, she's... And, and, and then I start recognizing names of guys she used to date before she met me. I don't have any interest in her yearbook. That was my appro approach to the Old Testament. This is great stuff, and if I were Jewish, I would care. But I'm not. So let me just jump in at Matthew. I see that so much different now. God is so beautifully revealed in the Old Testament. The best place to get the most accurate view of God's character is in the big story. The whole story from Genesis all the way to Revelation. 
And certainly this is a big part of it. And there's a linkage between the Old and New Testament. I'll show you a great example of it right here related to this. Remember John the Baptist who baptized Jesus? When John the Baptist saw Jesus for the first time, you would expect him to say, there he is, there's the Messiah. Look, there's the Lord of Lords or the King of Kings. I've been telling you to get ready, to get your life in order, to repent, because he's coming and he's coming soon. It's not what he says. Look, look at the book of John, verse 29. What does it say? The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said what? Read it to me. Of all the descriptions of Jesus that he could have picked, why that one? Where'd that picture come from? Right here in the book of Exodus. God's people never recovered from the Passover because there couldn't have been a more powerful picture of God's love and forgiveness. Well, maybe you just pick that at random. No, Paul wants to make sure we don't, we, we also recognize this parallel. 1 Corinthians 5, 7 says this, For Christ, what? Our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. You see, there's a, there's a struggle within God, at least through our, our eyes there are, there is. Um, you guys did good. There is three singular. Okay, good. Um, God's loving and compassionate, yes, but he's also holy and he's righteous. And how do we put the two of those together? God's holiness demands that sin be judged, but his love and compassion realizes he created us for a relationship in the first place. But he can't just go, so anyway, no big deal about your sin. Just, just try to do a little better in the future. He can't do that. And what sets our God apart from every other God in the world today is this, that God doesn't just tell us, well, you need a sacrifice. He doesn't even just, just provide the sacrifice. Our God became the sacrifice, the perfect lamb. I, I, I want to celebrate that this morning, and we're going to do it this way. I need, um, let's see, Brian, why don't you come on down, and let's see, you come on down, and uh, each of you take a microphone. Why don't you go to that side over there? You have this side here. And you're going to need to read off the big screen rather than this screen because otherwise you'll get your left and your right all mixed up. Everybody stand up, will you please? And this is not quite the end, so don't. When you stand up in church, it's like, man, let's go. Let's beat the Methodists to the buffet. Let's go, honey. We're, we're not quite done. I'm going to draw an imaginary line right through here up to that back pillar in the back. You need to be on one side of the line or the other. There you go. You better move that way. There we go. Okay. You don't want my laser to slice you in half. Okay. There you go. And turn kind of a little bit toward the middle so you're facing each other. But also so you can see the screen. If you're on this side of the room, you need to read off of this screen. Actually, both screens will say the same. Yours is going to be brown. Yours is going to be orange. Okay? 
And so I'll, I'll kind of key this up, and you lead your half of the choir in this, and then you answer. We're going to look at what the Old Testament Passover has to say, and then we're going to look at the parallel in the New Testament in Jesus Christ. And this is so awesome when you see this light bulb will be going off. So first, let's, let's talk about the instruction to sacrifice. What do we read in the Old Testament? Take a lamb and kill it. New Testament. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Good. Keep going. Your Lamb shall be without blemish. The precious blood of Christ is a Lamb without blemish and without spot. Keep going. I will execute judgment. over the door and not allow the destroyers to come into your houses to strike you. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. Hey, how about we give God a hand about that? Have a seat. So the bottom line of this session is this. We're talking about freedom all week. Ultimately, freedom is only possible through faith in Jesus Christ. Do not fall into the, the wrong thinking that I hear so much, even in good churches today, that back in Old Testament times, people were saved by works in the New Testament. Now we're saved by faith. That's, that's garbage. We were never saved by works. Why? Because we can't be good enough. Paul describes the law, he says, it's our tutor that shows us our need for a Savior. So don't say people were saved by works. They were not. It's always been by grace through faith. Now the way that God asked them to express that faith may change through the ages, but it's always by grace through faith. That's why they were to, to keep the law. They couldn't do it perfectly. That's why the sacrifices... The sacrifices couldn't remove sin, but it would cover sin in anticipation of someday a perfect sacrifice would be made once and for all, one for everybody. For us today, oh, now we're, now we're saved by faith because God realized nobody could be good enough, so he pivoted. Man, that's so good that God learned from his mistakes. Really? You want a God like that? It's just now we look back at the cross to the finished, completed work of Jesus Christ, the Passover lamb, not a Passover lamb. What's this have to do with us? It has everything to us. It's not like Ellen's high school yearbook that, that quite frankly still annoys me. Those other guys are still in the index and I'm not. I don't get it. Forty and a half years we've been married. instructions were very specific that each man were to take a lamb and slaughter it cool thing in here there was provision 
for the poor? Because what if you can't afford a lamb? Then are you outside of God's love? Of course not. Lambs could be shared if necessary, but, but you took the best lamb. You didn't go, um, you know, I got a lamb. He broke his leg last Tuesday. Doubtfully, he's going to make it anyway. He'll be our sacrifice. No, you chose the best that you could find because it's looking ahead to Jesus Christ. Live this perfect life. Never once sinned. Perfection. And what did he get for his perfect life? The cruelest death imaginable on Calvary's cross. And they, you, you couldn't go. See, this is the danger. You couldn't go, um, well, I, I, li- I mean, I'm surrounded by all these people who are doing this. I'm in a very Jewish neighborhood. I live in Woolly Acres, which is the name of our subdivision. I mean, surely God's just going to kind of look on and cross over the whole subdivision. I got people in my family tree who follow Jesus Christ. We're fine. It's very personal. It's got to be you applying the blood of Christ to your own heart and life. I believe this offer, by the way, was open to everybody. Because God's not showing favoritism to the Israelites. He's extending the offer. It's open to anybody. Suppose an Egyptian woman comes home and she's like, at the market I heard that there's another plague coming and it's going to be worse than all the other nine put together. It's the plague of death. But I also heard there's a way of escaping that. That God, which God? The God who's been showing his stuff, the God who's clearly superior to every God and goddess we've had who have let us down. That God. If we will take blood from a sacrificed lamb and put it on the door of our house, when judgment comes, what will he do? He will. That's open to the Egyptians as well. But I think there could have been some Israelites who are like, I just, I just don't see this. We just repainted last year. We got rhino coats. There's a warranty of 10 years on them. I'm not messing up our door. Besides, we live in, you know, woolly acres. We're covered. In, I think they had a tragic discovery the next morning. Here's my question for you. And I, I, I know if you come to Mount Hermon, I mean, if you come to Mount Hermon, you're probably pretty serious about your faith. But I also realize it's, it's possible that Grandma... Grandma made you come here, right? And Grandma even offered to pay. And you, you, the meals were going to be okay, and it's a pretty place, it'll be all right. And somehow or other, God hooked you yesterday through something Kurt said or something I said, and you came back day two, which is really messed up because yesterday should have covered Christmas and Easter both. That's a whole year's worth of church, and now you're logging another year. I I get that. That's kind of how I was raised early before we went to the weird church. We're, they're CEO Christians, Christmas and Easter only. I get that. I get that. You're ODing on church this week. Or, or maybe you go every week. But it's always been a, a belief in a system or an intellectual belief. This is actively participating in God's offer of salvation. Have you ever personally responded to Jesus Christ as your Passover lamb? Not the lamb of a nation, not the lamb of a church, not the lamb of even a family, but your 
sin sacrifice and substitution. Can you close your eyes for a second? Maybe today's the day. Maybe today's the day that you just simply say to God, God, I know I'm a sinner. That's not a newsflash to him. But he needs to hear you say it just in your own heart. Tell him you recognize you've done things that aren't just against his rules, but break his heart. Tell him you're sorry. And no matter how hard you try, there's nothing you can do to fix that. You can't be good enough. Unfortunately, God doesn't grade on a curve. could have said, well, you created this mess, you're on your own, but he didn't do that. Instead, God sent his son Jesus Christ to earth, a helpless little dependent baby who grows up, he lives a perfect life, he teaches people, he heals people, he shows his authority over illness, over nature, over even demons, and even over death. What's he get for his perfect life? He gets a horrendous death on a cross at Calvary. He shed his blood for you and for me. And he says, if you will put your faith in me, my finished work, my sacrifice in your place, then when you die, what will I do? I will pass over those sins because I don't see those sins. You're not going to believe how much more enjoyable the next few days of messing with it will be because then it's no longer about how do I make myself good enough for God. It's how do I, out of gratitude, live the life he would like me to lead. And he'll take his time. He doesn't do it instantly, but he'll put in things he wants to add to your life. He'll take out other things that don't belong with you. And why don't you put it in you just prayed a prayer or, or something like that in your own words, will you just slip up your hand for a second? I just, I just want to see. Wow. I'd love to talk to you more about that. I know Kurt would too. Talk to you about some next steps. But his promise is free. You don't need to fear Father, thank you. Thank you for the beautiful picture in the book of Exodus, the, the foreshadowing of future preview that was fulfilled so beautifully in Jesus Christ, our Passover sacrifice. Lord, we welcome these new brothers and sisters into this awesome family that you call the church. 
Like you said, um, for those of you that raised your hand, welcome to the family. I can't imagine a better family than you all to be a part of that. And I would encourage you, if you raise your hand, um, don't don't be silent about it. Like you said, tell somebody, tell one of them, tell me, Mike, any of our staff, person next to you, whatever. That might be the next courageous thing um, you need to do um, just to share that news and, and what was going on in your heart in those moments. And so... Um, I know I sure am grateful for that one Passover lamb. Jesus Christ, once and for all, for us, for all of us, um, to be able to spend eternity with him. And not only eternity with him, but the joy of living together. And the joy of what we get to experience in the life lived for him. And so, may we go from this place this morning. What a great morning we've had. Um, in that spirit. And so I want to go ahead and dismiss you. Go get your kids, head on over to lunch, and then we will see you on later in the day. All right, we'll see you then.